0: If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Tooth Radio Show. LimitsRadio.com. I'm your host Ryan. This week, we're keeping things on a more upbeat note. I think that I've got menopause. My wife says you've got menopause. I'm like, I know I've got menopause. I've got to get out of that. So I'm off menopause. I've I've got 30 more days to be happy before menopause strikes again. I don't know. I'm old. I'm getting old. Grumpy old man. Anyway, (laughs) I met uh, Mr. John Cusack this past weekend, Mr. Legend of Film. And then I at this Comic-Con. And the only way you could meet him is if you gave him $80. Like $80 for a selfie or for an autograph. I was like, I just want to ask him some questions. Like, no, you've got to pay $80. So I did. And I gave him a piece of paper that was laminated at the highest, hardest level, so he couldn't bend or twist his paper. And there were questions I wanted to ask him for the outer limits of inner truth. I told him about our show. I said, We go deep. You know, you're fighting for civil liberties. We've got to give you a great introspective interview. And he seemed to like some of the questions, and he knew some of the people that we had on the show, so I hope we get a chance to have him. And then I also saw that past weekend, Rob Schneider for the third time. I pitched him three times on the Outer Truth, and I gave him another piece of paper that was laminated. He's like, we still remember you from another Comic-Con because you're the only person that walks up to us that wants to have Rob on the show, and you give us this card stack laminated piece of paper. So Rob Schneider is super, super cool. I think he's got a really awesome energy. And I hope we have them as well. This next week coming up, I'm going to meet, hopefully, Robert England, guys who play Fr- Freddy Krueger, Rick Flair, and some others. So when I go to Comic-Con or any of these other celebrity events, I'm not going there because I'm a fanboy. I'm always going there. So the hope that maybe we can get some of these people on our show because we'll give them the interview of a lifetime. Also, before we begin tonight's program, again, I know I was uh, a Debbie Downer. week and I I just I'm concerned about what's going on but still you want to come you want to be upbeat so I want to give you a couple tips that I use to try not to make other people crazy and one of my tips is when somebody is speaking I look at them directly in the eye and I give them my undivided attention I also look and observe where my feet are and make sure that my feet are pointed directly at the person this is a body language technique that is utilized by joe navarro who is a body language expert i've read several of his books i've been trying to get him on our show but i think it's terrific and you can also observe when people don't have their feet pointed towards you that means they're really not interested so keep that in mind and my father always said the too, is that when you speak make sure you look at someone right in the eye also uh walk up to people who are in the grocery store or cashiers and ask them how their day was i don't think a lot of people generally get asked about how they're doing or how they're feeling it's incredible but i mean and i do it a lot of times if these people seem like they have a sense of relief that somebody actually is caring about them they're curious about them also i just think that try not to drive too many people crazy i think people are expected to be looked at and judged all the time and if they say something, they're they're looking at people to judge them. So if somebody starts speaking their mind and starts sharing an idea, and it's not about cutting the heads off people or killing animals, and they just speak their mind, like give them the give them the benefit of the doubt. I think that you might be surprised at the reaction you'll get from other people. So I don't, Those are my three tips. Oh, so can I just tell you, I've got two tips on how to make people crazy, but it's not really that negative. They're just fun things I like to do. One of them is, you walk up to somebody, you write on a small little sheet of paper. E equals MC square, okay? You give it to the person. They look at it and you say, shh, don't you tell anyone. That's our secret. And you, you run out the door. <laughs> That'll make them think twice about you. Uh, second thing is a little bit more extreme. If you see someone in your age... Walk up to them and say, hey, how are you? You look great. I haven't seen you since high school. Remember we were in high school together? Oh, my God, you lost all that weight. You look amazing. Wow. And you you pull out a 10 or $20 bill and say, here's the money I owe you. for. for thank you for spotting me for lunch. Listen, I got to get going. We got to catch up. And that person is probably going to be thinking in their head, who the hell was that? They're going to be wondering all day if they're losing their mind. So I think those are two like, kind-hearted ways to drive people crazy. All right, so good. Now we're starting things off in a positive note. Our focus of today is about magic, utilizing magic to manifest miracles, to manifest great things in reality. I use magic with uh, some of my friends, and it works pretty well, especially when you're putting positive things out. So let us begin tonight's show. Welcome to the program is Mr. David Solomon. He's an entrepreneur, a mystic, an author. He's experienced 111 miracles, synchronicities, and one of his books is called Magic is Real. I spent quite a bit of time on this gentleman's website. It's very fascinating. You can learn more about David by going to his website at magicalgoldenage.com. David, welcome to the program.
1: Ryan, thank you so much. Really happy and honored to be on here and be of service to you and everybody in the audience. Thank you. Wow, that's awesome. That's,
0: that's that's a po- real positive way to start things off. So, when it comes to magic, people say, "Well, you know, magic is when you you, you cast spells and you, you do, things, do things." What is your perspective on magic, and what are some of the ways that you've utilized magic?
1: Uh, you know, I feel Ryan, magic is the science of applied consciousness, as I define it. I mean, Arthur C. Clarke said a while back, "Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic." So I, I use it not in the fantasy sense, not in the card tricks or stage illusion sense, um, but really as looking at what what can consciousness do in this world. What's been shown in a lab. What's been shown by individuals time and again. And that those advanced things of consciousness. I use the word magic because magic is fun and it has a lot of positive associations. Um, but I really like to to differ in its definition. Um, and, uh, you know, any branch of reality creation, for some people it's spells, for some people it's manifestation. I consider it a big umbrella to many other sub-disciplines.
0: All right. So if you are going to take something in a simplistic like manner where you say, okay, I would like to manifest a new job or I would like to manifest a wonderful relationship, what do you do when applying the principles of magic to that compared to logically taking steps to take actions to bring about things in a logical type matter? Does magic, in, in a way, shape, or form, enhance the capability, enhance the chances of you manifesting something quicker? Does it pull you to a better outcome? Does it put you in a greater alignment to the natural law of the universe?
1: You right, I'd say all of the above. If you were to go on, on my site on Magical Golden Age and reach out to me for mentoring, Um, And we were to talk, um, you know, generally more than once to really engage a significant life transformation and integrate this rather than just entertain a couple of cool ideas. Um, I I work with the chakra system because I think it's a great model for consciousness and reality. So what you said, the day-to-day practical actions, those are important, the root chakra, getting comfortable with this time and space um, and general pacing of the world. Um, we can talk about accelerating that as we move up. So the second chakra, your relationships. So the relationships in your life align to what you want to manifest in terms of a job. How are you interpersonally? How is your relationship with wealth and a feeling of feeling worthy or not worthy um, and everything related to that in abundance. So checking those off the list, really make sure the second chakra element can really pull it in. Um, the third chakra, your will. Do you really want this job? Do you really want this opportunity? Are you willing to put forth the energy and the actions and the sincerity um, instead of just what a lot of people only do? And the sixth chakra is the visioning. Um, And to use the sixth chakra well, and we're going to go back to the other ones in a second, um, it's not just imagining something, but it's getting very, very clear, imagining in present tense reality, seeing, feeling, visualizing with full sensory immersion. Um, With the heart, it's feeling it. It's bringing in those positive emotions. It's feeling that joy. Those have an attractive force? Um, With the throat chakra, it's the truth. Is this job the right fit for you? Is it really right for you in this phase of your life karmically? Could there be any misalignments with your vision that might make you push it away? Or do you have any deeper intentions that you care about more that would actually take a priority in manifestation? Uh, And then finally, the crown. Do you have a knowing of really what is required? Uh, For some people, it's a simple sigil. For others, it's much more involved. Uh, when I teach money magic rituals, you know, sometimes people can do them in five minutes. Sometimes people have me do them uh, for other people on Patreon, uh, which is patreon.com slash joy. I do a money ritual for a lot of people uh, every week through that. And so looking at what happens on each level. Um, so really mapping it, you know, manifestation is taught so simply. I like to give a really rich answer for this to demystify it. And I have a, a nine-minute voice note I share with people with just this part, um, you know, maybe phrased slightly differently. So anybody who you know reaches out to me, um, I'm, I'm happy to give that for free. Um, so looking at the dimensions of reality, as I, I put in the book, Magic is Real, um, you know, we have the third dimension, time and space, physical matter. We pretty much get that. Um, the fourth dimension as I, I feel it's, it's most aptly defined is the energetic and the astral. So what types of energies are you sending out? If you're really only working with astral energies, you haven't gotten to, um, see different dimensions, see parallel realities, quantum stuff, seeing yourself shifting through timelines—all that stuff is in 5D. But in the 4D, what types of energies are you sending out? Um, you know, a basic version of money rituals is feeling the energy and vibration of money and pulling that in. Right, so I want to ask you something
0: reason, real quick about 4D because I, I don't want to go right into the 5D, 4D question. Is that when you are in 4D, is that consciousness without a physical body, and are you manifesting thoughts? instantaneously and in that same token in 4d or as you get, you get higher are you seeing the manifestations of things in these dimensions that you have not been able to manifest in 3d because of the space time because of the distractions where you're not able to focus prolonged periods of time to get the instant manifestations in these upper realms
1: well each each level up in both in the dimensions and the integration of chakras can speed that up you know, we heard an autobiography of a yogi, Abaji manifested a whole palace in half a second. And for most of us, we can't do that. For most of us, if we want something, um, you know, we do whatever process we do. And then it shows up within an hour, day, a week, a month, a year, depending on uh, what our rational mind can accept. And a lot of factors know other dimensions. So I, I really like to break it down. Um, you know, instant manifestation, I believe is absolutely possible. Sometimes it happens when you're in a really heightened state. Um, in whether it's in a certain space, the right type of psychedelic experience with somebody who already has a really high vibe, certain types of crystals, um, and so that's really in, in all dimensions. So just to go through them kind of quickly, and if you want, let me sure.
0: know. Sure. Yeah, uh, go. Uh, well, the forty, like everything beyond three D, everyone's kind of experienced really, so we're curious about forty-five D, sixty, and and I guess I wanted yeah. to the point where like, what is different? I mean, are these experience, are these dimensions that could be experienced? while you're in the physical body? I mean, and if you are spirit, I mean, you, don't you get to experience all these dimensions while in spirit?
1: Well, yeah, but that's also like saying, don't you get to experience all life experiences while being in the body? And for most people, they don't experience, say, being an opposite gender or being a paraplegic and an Olympic uh, gymnastic person. So well the fact that we can <laughs> access different things doesn't necessarily mean that we experience them all the time. That does depend on the level of awareness. Um, and even 4D you know, depending on your training, your experience, the openness, the clarity of your chakras, your ego involvement, you might notice all the astral energies in the space, which are huge and overwhelming and an order of magnitude more complex than a than three-dimensional realm. Or you might just notice a few, ones that you're attuned to, ones that you're focusing on, uh, ones that you have access to. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really big spectrum. If you consider the energy body and energy healers, until somebody's like a true, true master like, you know, you quantify their skill, you see how quickly people heal with them and it's significantly faster than others and they they can accurately discern the energy of different things. You know, this this is a high continuum. Um, so the other dimensions, um, you know, just to go through them briefly, I we've, we've talked a bit about 4D, so 5D is more, um, you know, quantum holographic awareness. Um, it's shifting your consciousness into the timeline where there's a mind and a body living that reality you want to shift into. Um, a lot of LOA stuff is in 5D and what I, what I share and what I personally practice is the higher the dimension you can access, the more efficient and effective your manifestation is. So if you can master 5D, you don't really need to spend a lot of time in 4D. Um, similarly, if you can work with or receive the energy of blessing of sixty, um, looking at what is a richer type of energy by the beings who really have full access to all realities, which are divine beings in seventy. Uh, so currently... I do 7D, um, 8 and 9D magic. I do higher level stuff. i work with divine beings. um, And if uh, you're somebody who doesn't really like that concept or believe in it, um, but you believe in oneness, then you can consider them projections or anthropomorphizations of the highest level of, say, uh, wealth for Lakshmi or wisdom for Athena or love for Aphrodite. Uh, And the tradition doesn't really matter. These are all different archetypes. Um, 9D is really unity consciousness, which I also would call 1D. Where you are one with everything, and at that there's no separation. You don't even have words or symbols or realities. So usually, perception of non-duality, what I call 8D, um, is the highest place most of us can get to, where we can see the infinite realities at the fountainhead of splitting off of unity. Um, and it's much easier to shift into those things. Um, but for certain certain times, um, you know, it's really good if you can access these two. To shift between eight and ninety. Okay, For I example, would just,
0: uh, As you communicate and work with beings at the eight D level, does that mean you are refining the communication that these beings are having to source? Like it would be the same as if our thoughts are talking back to us, we can understand those thoughts. Is that? Is that well, that
1: saying? that's more that's more channeling. That's okay. more working at seventy and below. Eight eight D, nine D work is when you're shifting back and forth. So. I'll, I'll, I'll share, I'll actually answer that through a, a transmission of when I worked with those levels. So uh, I was driving home with my friend Zing, we, we got Chinese and I live in Silicon Valley and as we were driving home, it was uh, one of those weeks where it was just flooding rain and we were in the driveway and I said, hey Zing, you want to stop the rain within five minutes, let's, let's put a boundary on it so we can't just claim credit if it stops within a day or two. Uh, so we held hands and as we focused, the, the information just came to me, I've, I've done a lot of work with thoughts. Um, And I've just had the the good fortune that if it's karmically appropriate to do a type of high magic, the knowing just comes in. And so the the guided meditation that came through me, both both for me and for her, was to feel ourselves as the clouds and to shift back and forth between that. And uh, what the rational mind wanted to remember is that we are in these physical bodies. And as we are shifting back and forth through the 90 aspect, we are the clouds, we are the people, we are the rain. At the 8D, we're we're the doer. Um, And if you're talking about unity consciousness of all that is, that's both no separation and separation. So going back and forth to include everything, holding that awareness, we felt ourselves as the clouds recede in all directions. Um, And by holding that awareness and doing a couple other things, we noticed the rain instead of going, it would slowly go, and it would slowly slow down. And eventually the rain stopped on the windshield. It was really exciting. And then she said, oh, my God. And then a huge <laughs> downpour of rain came down because her ego activated. So I, I said, hey, you know, ego shouldn't get involved. It, it actually doesn't matter at all. Oh, this, is, this is just us shifting. Let's, let's go back to it. So we went back to it, and the rain was heavy for you know, 10, 20 seconds. And then it lightened and lightened. And once it totally stopped, uh, I opened the car door. And there was no rain at all in the driveway. But as we looked out about a thousand feet in every direction, we could see it still pouring rain behind the house, across the street. And that, that was fun because it was just playing with magic. It was just playing with reality. Um, and it was, it was also fun doing it with another person. So at that, we were both the doer and what was done. Um, and I feel for most of us, especially to avoid psychosis or delusions, which can happen if people only do upper chakra work, um, it's, it's good to be reminded of who we are where we come from and include ourselves on this journey because uh, we, we don't want to dissolve and we incarnated in bodies to have this human experience so while we can shift up to divine to unity consciousness it's really important to stay grounded um this like all the, the pagan phrases as above so below and the hermetic ones that's not just a cute figure of speech that's including the earth and the heavens the manifest you know 3d and lower planes along with the higher ones
0: i love the hermetic principles i mean if, if I forget the gentleman's name, but I've read at least two of the books, the uh, supersonic man. I forget the name of the I wish I remember the name, but I've read two books about hermetic principles they are very fascinating. And when you are, I mean, if you look at the world right now, I've, I've talked a lot about this in this program, but it seems to be darker, you see the, the dark forces or it's getting more tyrannical. So is there, is it becoming that way? Because people are just not being good stewardess of their energy? Or are there people or beings out there that don't have the best of intentions that do actually have access or stronger understanding of accessing these higher dimensions that they're able to manifest and infringe upon others because they're utilizing a source of power that most people don't have access to?
1: Uh, Ryan, that's a great question, and it's also kind of complex. So I, want, I want to do it justice. But if you just look at things at a superficial 3D level, yeah, you see what you see. But even in 3D, if you bring in psychology, you get into the idea of projection. And we'll get into mystical stuff in just a second. So I was at a conference last weekend um, on integration of science and technology through the Institute of Noetic Sciences. And as I was walking down a hallway between, uh, between you know, conference rooms, I saw these two women. And one was quite a bit older. She was in her 70s. And she just locked eyes with me. And if I was just 3D, I'd think, oh, you know, maybe this woman is experienced, but maybe she doesn't have a lot of energy. Um, you know, she doesn't look like a mover and shaker. Um, maybe she's, a, she's very kind. Maybe I'll give her some, some of my time to be kind versus seeing her as a soul and seeing her as one with me and seeing as, oh, I manifested this. I manifested that locked eye contact as a signal, as an omen to myself, that it's something to pay attention to. And right when I sat down, her friend... Um, they were talking about crystals and other mystical things uh, or mystical properties of crystals. And her friend said uh, something along the lines of seeing others as a soul, regardless of physical form. Like, okay, this is a high level synchronicity. This person echoed my thoughts and the conversation evolved to um, one of them uh, offering to help uh, in, in the promotion of my next two books that are coming out later this year, Uh, which is a pretty big deal because I, um, you know, there's a lot of people on Instagram at sorcerer David and on my Facebook page but uh, it's, it's one thing to teach and live this stuff. It's another to do all the, the business aspects. So when you look at the darkness in the world, as, as back to the source of you know, your original question here, you know, if, you, if you think about oneness, if you think about manifestation and projection from a spiritual and a mystical sense, you could say, are these expressions of your shadow uh, or a global sense? Is the world my manifestation or is the world moving through some type of energy? What's growing? What's shrinking? Um, So for that, I'd look to the systems that really have already gone through figuring that out. If you look at the Mayan calendar, if you look at the Yugas, if you look at the astrological ages, whatever one you feel comfortable with, any, a lot of them say there's a big period of darkness before a big period of light. And some of them have that period of darkness ending at different times. Um, But I personally believe that just like healing an emotional and often a physical wound or any type of disease, you have to get the old crap out before the new stuff comes in.
0: Okay. I, and I, God, sorry.
1: Yeah. and I, I feel that what's happening right now in America politically and in other places in the world, there, there's these energies, and now they're coming to the surface. And as they do, we have the opportunity to see them and reflect how we want them to show up. Do we want them quarantined and fiction so we can remember and express that part of unity, or do we need to experience them? I think a perfect example of this is in the Bush era. There is this, you know, unjustified war, and in this Trump era, there is an attempt for another war, and it got shot down and didn't happen. I think more people are awake to what's going on. Um, so I feel if if you, anybody feels any curiosity for this era, I would say keep keep on hope, keep on gratitude, focus on what you want to manifest, and if you really feel motivated, then as Marianne Williamson said uh, to me when I met her in Santa Cruz before she announced to run. If you are a spiritual person in any way and you want to see the world shift, get off your meditation cushion and get into politics. And we can manifest all the stuff that we want. But again, we have to include that, that material world. So anytime you want to do a binding spell or shift into a reality of a world with more light, you know, are you in your mission, whether you're planting trees, whether you're active in politics, whether you're following your own life path of spreading information to lift people up or just living your highest truth, however that is there are things you can do along with shifting your perceptions and being grateful for um, the era we live in. And if we look at history, you know, most every country, if not every country in the world has seen cycles of light and dark. Um, And I think there's much, much more evidence showing that we're shifting into a cycle of light. If we expand up beyond just a year of news um, and just selective news into, you know, bigger cycles throughout history.
0: I am so impressed with your last response. It was so uplifting and positive positive. And another thing, too, what really captivated me about David, in addition to his wisdom, is the fact that David's wearing a tie dye shirt on his Amazon profile. And I'm like, anyone who spots tie dye is obviously bringing in the light and the peace. So that's, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> beautiful. It's <Thanks, brother. laughs> definitely awesome. David, who was your teacher? And when you, I just want to, because everyone's probably thinking, like, did you say in the beginning you had two near death experiences as well? And, and if so, what did you see? What was your most compelling insight?
1: Well, which question do you want me to answer first? Well, right? The first question is,
0: one, who is your teacher? What did you learn from uh, them? And also, if you can go on a little bit about your near-death experiences.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll go over the teacher thing a little bit faster because each of us go about teachers in our own unique way. Um, my current teachers, are I mainly work with divine beings. Since I started channeling several years ago, um, I, I realized I could connect with a living being and learn what I needed to is relevant from my life by connecting with their essence and their soul. This is something that's been taught by Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich for about 100 years, and many other traditions teach it. Um, but I've had about uh, 18 human masters, people from uh, individuals who worked with Tibetan lamas to acupuncturist shamans who worked at a really high level, um, to people who worked in neurology, to venture capitalists and entrepreneurs, to physical therapists, um, you know, people all, all around, people who are shamans, people who are energy masters and healers, uh, people who work with tarot and astrology and divination. Um you know I, I've studied with a lot of people, um, but right now I feel like for me, um, accessing information that isn't known uh, may not be known consciously far and wide, but that, especially that's extremely customized to me, um, that I can do on command freely at any time. I really use the the psychic, the telepathic, the channeling abilities I've developed because uh, it's just a lot more efficient. You know a lot of times in life, our teacher might be somebody we, we run into. But in the modern era, um, usually to have somebody help us significantly, personally, we hire them as a coach or we enroll in their school or go to their ashram. So since I started my first business at 19, I would always hire um, CEOs, COOs, entrepreneurs who built companies much bigger than I did. And I I paid them well for their time because their time was valuable. And they had their own life goals, and a lot of people wanted to work with them. And in that, I realized, you know, you can work with a lot of people in the world, but if you really want somebody dedicated to you, there's going to be some setup, some energy exchange. It might be doing chores. It might be doing kind acts of kindness. It might just be acknowledging them. And if, if you're lucky enough to have somebody help you for 300 hours over the course of a couple of years for free, awesome. Work with them if they're in alignment. Um, but the the design thing and the channeling thing, uh, for me, that that's efficient. That's accurate. That's helpful, and I validate that stuff by applying what I learn. And then when I get results as good at or as good as or better than the types of results I got from human teachers, it reminds me that oh, there is this access. I still learn from people. I still work with people. I still pay professionals. Yeah. I think it's Uh, wonderful that you're you're still seeking
0: teachers. I love it that you're still seeking teachers because I'm always seeking teachers. I mean, I constantly am looking. Uh, seeking it it's like I can't, I can't I can't turn it off that's wonderful you have teachers that yeah. are here and not manifesting it's great it's,
1: yeah it's awesome and, uh, so as far as your question about the near death experiences you know, um, you know did you have something else?
0: no just curious about your near death experiences like what, what was it like and I mean how did that shape your perception yeah. too?
1: Uh, Well, really significantly, you know, my my greater mystical experiences were um, not related to the near-death stuff. The near-death stuff really put me back on the path. Um, I had my first awakening around age 12 when I started to get into astral projection and um, working with divine beings a little bit, uh, and tarot, and different forms of Wicca, uh, and shamanism. And around the age of 22, when I was graduating and really working on my business and wanted to um, succeed as a professional artist, which was my goal then at that time, even though I knew I'd serve it a spiritual way, I thought I'd have to be a celibate monk with a shaved head in a cave to do that. And I, <laughs> I'm not that, but I'm like, okay, that's too scary. And then I met all these people who were quote unquote spiritual, who are just, you know, generally looking like the rest of us. Uh, and so for a time when I was starting businesses, I started 13 businesses over the years, I would push myself really, really hard. And when I moved out to Silicon Valley at the end of 2013, um, That previous year, as I was working on selling a business, and the whole next year, I was running primarily on Adderall, Modafinil, Caffeine, and about 100 to 120 servings of different supplements every day. And I thought I was biohacking. I thought I knew what I was doing. Um, And at one point, right before Thanksgiving in 2014, I had taken a few days off. um, I had really done all the self-care things, and I was exhausted. I'm like, okay, I don't love allopathic doctors for many of the reasons many of the other ones want, but they do have blood tests and blood tests is good data. And I don't know why I'm experiencing this. And the doctor said, you have borderline liver failure stuff, all your supplements, except fish oil, um, you need to rest it. And I got really lucky because if I had waited two months more to see her, I, I might've died. Um, so about four or five months after that, once I had uh, done a liver flush and gotten a lot of acupuncture and really learned about, you know, what do I need to put in my body versus just what is a perceived lack or doubt of self. I was taking like five blood thinners, five herbs or supplements that had a blood thinning effect along with a ton of stimulants. So my heart was just, you know, torn back and forth. Um, but once I got my liver stable and confirmed that with blood tests, which I think is a responsible thing to do if, you know, you're in a physical body and something's up, along with whatever spiritual stuff. You know, you got a brain scan later too. I think all this stuff is great. Um, I, I visited home, my, my hometown in, in Michigan, and the family dynamics based on events at that time were were pretty nuts. And I just felt so depressed. So I, I couldn't literally leave my hotel room and I hadn't visited home in a while at that point. Uh, when I got home, I woke up with chest pains at three, four in the morning, uh, a couple days in a row. And the third day that happened, I'm like, okay, I have some chest pains, I woke up in the middle of the night, my arm may or may not feel tingly. The responsible thing to do is go to the hospital. There's no shame or embarrassment. If nothing's up, then great. If something's up, you know, it's worth investing an hour of time or whatever to get checked out, especially that time of day. So I get checked in. I I ask if, you know, am I having a heart attack? One person says yes, another person says no, that's not great for the nerves. And I remember lying in a cold uh, examination room um, with no one there except a custodian who wouldn't respond to anything I said. I did not want to be alone, but nobody stuck with me. As the doctor was doing an ultrasound, he was also texting, which really pissed me off. Jeez. Um, long story, sh- yeah. Long story short, um, I, I don't want to, you know, say you know this is recorded, so I don't want to say which place. Just make sure you're in good hands if you go anywhere, or just accept it and relax, uh, and it is what it is. So they did an angiogram, meaning they they put me under, they went through my groin, they checked out my heart. And they said, you didn't have a heart attack. You had acute pericarditis. The uh, tissue around your heart is really swollen. Um, you know, don't take supplements and don't work out hard at all for four to six months. I'm like, wow, that's, that's a lot. That's a big deal. And after chilling out for two weeks, after I got out of the hospital, I was just there overnight once um, I went on a hike with a friend just for a few hours. I thought, Hey, I feel all right. I was bedridden for two, three weeks after that. I, my, like my heart was really, really something was going on with it. And so during that uh, year of 2015 and 2016 of almost, you know, having my liver go out, almost having my heart go out when I was, you know, just barely 30, 31, like, okay, I want to make it to 80 and beyond. I need to not only learn about how to take care of my body, but what in me was driving myself so hard to try to, you know, get all this material world success when I've read all this spiritual stuff and I believe it. And when I was still in the brain of startup mode, um, I went to a conference really high-level conference out here in, in San Francisco. I met with the co-founder of a very well-known tech company, a uh, guy who was worth billions of dollars. And I was able to, um, he was able to generously give me some of his time. And as we talked and did yoga and stuff, he said, you know, you should really see this energy healer. And at that point I was so immersed in the material realm, I didn't think to consider it, but long story short, I did. And I could actually feel what she was doing during the sessions. And over time, as my nervous system stabilized, as my heart and liver continued to heal, uh, I realized she had a school, I enrolled in it, went through a real deep, powerful transformation uh, with memories of past experiences, my energy body with biopsychology, which is critical, learning how we store traumas in our body, uh, learning about habits and addictions, not just to substances, but to stress. That's a big thing for many people. And then over time, from that school, from working with a lot of people, from doing journey work... And from deeply devoting, um, I was able to figure out financially how to devote um, like about four years of my life into full-time training in these areas. I, um, I had a number of awakenings. I had a lot of mystical experiences and miracles, as people would call them. And then my rational mind was so convinced that the type of magic we've been talking about is real, is legit. I mean, the cloud thing was cool, but stuff about, you know, helping people in near-death experiences and having their life saved asking for a sign and immediately getting one, having blue light, visible blue light come out of my hand and somebody else see it. You know, so many things that That's were awesome. like, whoa, tell me about that. Um, and so once I realized, hey, how do I, how do I fill my time with this? How do I level up as much as possible to serve the world in the ways that feel right? And then, um, you know, as I talk about a magical golden age in my book, Magic is Real, that involves building temples, uh, helping to found a new city of Atlantis, Helping people level up in skill exponentially fast, you know, kind of Tim Ferriss style, condensing the learning curve. Um, and I realized, hey, this is the work of a thought leader. What do thought leaders do? How do they support themselves? Uh, so I, I learned that over the course of a year and a half, you know, in the middle of this, um, and that's the, that's uh, how I'm uh, living now. How I feel I can serve best now. i teaching workshops, writing books, sharing content, interviewing with you, and. Individuals like do you, you've never been doing a lot of videos stuff like that.
0: David, I got a question. What, what? if, uh, what if I, I know it's one of them? I mean, you're doing so much. You're doing this uh, retreat in Bali, and we'll definitely post a link to it. And you've got a lot of videos out there, and I highly recommend people get your book. Uh, David, do you have any advice for people who do not get the visuals that you do or, or get the intuitiveness? I'll tell you because I'm one of those people. I mean, I took psychedelic mushrooms years ago, and it was like the worst day of my life, I saw some visuals like, well, this doesn't work, and then I meditated, I didn't get feelings that I, it really wasn't anything happening and then probably about the sixth or seventh time I took ayahuasca, I got a visual experience, and it was a whole wall of demonic entities, and you know, normally speaking, I'd be terrified, I was like, alright, well, at least I got a visualization, so I was kind of happy, I was like, alright, good, I finally saw something, and I, I walked away from it, but what is it about individuals where some are more inclined to see or more inclined to feel on the more inclined to get those messages and others who can't is it a matter of being locked in your physical body is your physical body lacking some type of nutrition is your pineal gland kind of messed up or is it the fact that maybe you are protecting yourself on some kind of level from insights and intuitions that you know on a deeper level you can't handle
1: um, you know, it could be all of the above. Okay. Um, there, there are so there are so many scenarios. You know, I, I combine, I compare spiritual awakening and abilities to physical abilities because most of us have developed some physical skill um, and know that process. So it makes it really easier to understand and map, especially if we haven't experienced talking with spirits, working with energy, things like that. Um, you know, just for mushrooms, you know, they say set and setting is really important. So it's biochemistry. So is uh, your kidney chi. Um, so is your subconscious. You know, if you're using something appropriately, as I say, um, you know, and it's with, with somebody who has 20 years experience, who has your best interest at heart, who you know the things that have been bugging you, that you can tell them ahead of time while, you're, while your system is clean and that they are, you confirm they're qualified and experienced in helping you through that stuff. And so if you see anything dark or disturbing as a projection of your subconscious, as access to the astral realms, that's something to work through and to clear from your system um, or else, you know, as you described that it, it can be, it can be scary. It can be tough. Um, just like if you learned all about the bacteria in your body, you'd be like, wow, I really need to deal with some of the, the harmful bacteria here. And if all you did is watch the worst documentary possible on the harmful bacteria in your body, you know, you might dwell on that as opposed to the helpful bacteria. Um, so if, if you, and I'm speaking to you as a listener, anybody who's listening, want to develop certain abilities or have certain experiences, you know, really think about your goal and go really deep into what your goal is. And. Just be be rational about it. Like, if you wanted to learn how to backflip and you don't know now, would you just go onto a concrete parking lot without any instruction or prep or training and just do a backflip without a helmet? Like, most of us would not do that. I do not recommend doing Unless that. Unless you're one of those millennials who are doing those
0: YouTube challenges, the social media challenges. Don't give anyone any ideas about that. They'll probably do it. If you're listening and you think it's well, an idea, don't do it. That's a bad idea. Use a yeah. helmet.
1: Yeah, I mean, but the the proper way to yeah, good good point. The proper way to learn a backflip, you know, one proper way might be go to a place with big trampolines with people who've done this a lot. They assess your core strength and balance. You do little exercises leading up to it. You do it in a place where if you screw up, it's totally safe with whatever protection needed, and where somebody can help you. And after you know a thousand, two thousand backflips, then you know maybe after demonstrating it and you know harder surfaces you might be um, you know, legitimately qualified to do other things. So with psychic abilities, a lot of people get frustrated. A lot of people try energy work once, or see one healer, or get one uh, psychic reading, and the person either isn't qualified or the experience wasn't great, and they're like, oh, that, that's bullshit. And that's just like getting a massage with somebody who isn't well-trained. Well but in massage, most of us can understand what does it mean to go through school, to be practicing on people 20 hours a week for five, 10, 15 years, but we don't always ask those questions of energy healers. And even, even with energy healing and psychic stuff, a lot of us have not looked into a system that maps those things. So if you have an acupuncturist, you could have an MD who takes a three-week course, gets a piece of paper, um, looks at a textbook for different points, or you could have somebody who like, reads your chi, checks your pulses, has memorized dozens of configurations, can customize those to you, um, can feel where the chi is blocked and where it isn't, what makes the right sense and possibly tell you what's up and what to expect as opposed to say, oh, we're doing this for inflammation or pain. Here's what the book says. You know, that that's not really being being skilled. So if you, if you want to develop any skill, you need to have a clear picture of what does that skill look like and how long does it take the average person uh, to develop it? And so if that's divination, if that's energy work, if that's manifestation, you know, what does it take people? Um, you know, Jim Carrey has these these examples that he tells us all the time. He said he wrote himself, uh, himself a check for $10 million for acting services rendered. And he, he would go up to Mulholland Drive and all the time just work on manifesting that. And it took him seven years to get that check for Dumb and Dumber 2. And so whether we want a lover, a relationship, a job, a house, a, a powerful healing, you know, realizing that somebody who's had that level of success in the world took seven years to manifest something huge – you know, maybe you could do it in a year. Tony Robbins made over a million dollars in a year once he, you know, had his big reckoning. Uh, there's many stories I've encountered of people who were riddled with tumors and all sorts of other degenerative diseases, got rid of everything in a couple of months. Uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza in his book, You Were the Placebo, healed a shattered spine and visualization alone in two months. So as you said in the beginning, there's so many different factors. Um, and just like being able to do, you know, brain surgery is really complex, but just to use that as an extreme, um, you know, there's so many factors involved in in a system that if you haven't grown up learning about that system and you're starting from scratch, maybe you know some terms, maybe you read a few books. Um, you know, building a skill generally is involved an involved and incremental process and involves time, dedication, patience, and accurate expectations. Um, you know, when I first started learning magic when I was 12, I wanted to shoot fireballs and levitate stuff. And I had a really good. That's awesome. Kabbalist, I want to do that uh, too. Person. Have you
0: ever been able to master cool. that? Cause I show you, you I met about... somebody
1: who's levitated somebody I've seen, Qigong masters, light stuff on fire. Um, I haven't chosen to focus on those things. Uh, and and here's, here's why um, the, my Kabbalist mentor when I was 12 said, you know, what if you could do those? What then, you know, they'd be cool for a little bit, but how would they really serve your life? Would an inner peace wouldn't persistent joy serve you more? You know, you can always pursue those things. And I thought for a second, you know, like, well, yeah, they probably would not getting frustrated, experiencing whatever of enlightenment is real and accessible. Yeah. I, actually those are more important. You know, if you could levitate stuff, um, but say nothing over a thousand pounds, would that get tiring? Or would you just entertain yourself by levitating stuff all the time? Um, you know, things are miraculous and awesome when they're new. But once we've seen them for a bit, we're like, okay, cool. What's the next thing? And so I, I encourage people to look at the practicality of what you're trying to learn. Do I, do I believe that in certain paths, like Tibetan Buddhism, if you're really deeply focused, you can learn to levitate or maybe fry, fly? Yeah. But do you want to devote yourself for 20, 30 years and take vows and, and other things with that as your primary goal? Like, will you last through that training? And do you think that's the height of the biggest thing you can develop and learn um, and if that's your only motivation, fine, go for it. But there's much richer things in this world, I feel, than spectacle. Um, but spectacle is, is very useful. It was useful to me to prove this stuff was real. It's useful for a lot of people in, in waking up and seeing the truth of things. Um, you know, as Dean Radin said in his book, Real Magic, uh, which I, I, I consider an unofficial sister book to mine, it's full of research. And he, he cites an example that a lot of people have of St. Joseph of Cupertino. And this guy levitated in front of crowds, kings, queens, princes, dukes, merchants, people of high standing wrote that he levitated and they saw him levitate. Tons of people with a reputation to keep in mind of. And why, why did people see St. Joseph of Cupertino levitate or fly time and again? You know, what's the higher karmic purpose of that? Maybe it's to help wake them up. Maybe it's to remind them that, that there's a lot more possible in this world. Maybe it's to let them know that, hey, this guy really knows what's up. In a spiritual way, you know, maybe there's certain labels of religion that we'll have to weed out if we're not, we don't feel part of that, that tradition, but, you know, ultimately what, what is the truth behind that and why does it matter? Like, yeah, levitating flying would be cool, but I think the reason behind that is actually more important because what I study is the fundamental reasons behind all magic, uh, which, which again, I consider divine embodiment. However, you would define divine as maybe the highest level of human experience or beyond that. And so for me, if I can understand and teach people to understand and know and demonstrate the basis behind levitation, flying, fireballs, instant healing, all that stuff, then that's the fundamental level that leads to everything else. That's like if you want to be um, a Chinese poet, you have to learn Chinese first. And so it's, it's knowing things in order. Again, for backflips, if you have no core strength, it'll be a lot harder than if you do. So you, you need to go in the right order. And nowadays, a lot of us like to have eclectic paths and say, oh, you know, organized religion did this or did that. No, it didn't. Certain individuals with big egos, um, you know, may have manipulated the application of certain things. But the mystical traditions, Kabbalah, Hermeticism, um, the things I've been developing for over 22 years and have been continuously refining with other people, um, you know, there's so many mystical systems out there. Egyptian magic has been around for a while. Damanhur has 600 people working on Atlantean magic for the last 40 years. There's so many systems where people have figured stuff out and so I would encourage anybody who really wants to learn things, whether you want to study with me or you want a recommendation is find, find a path that has structure, that has good explanation, that helps you build those foundational skills, get realistic expectations. Don't just think because you see something in a movie or read it in a book, you can copy it. Like we, we all know Hollywood's movies have massive uh, special effects budgets. So get, get really real with yourself about, um, you know, what to expect. You know, if, if you're, um, you know, 40 pounds overweight and you want to be ripped, look at what does that actually take? How many months, how many years, of what types of things? And if you do that, you won't have unrealistic expectations that you snap your fingers or you read a book and do two rituals and then you're a master. Like that's, we're, we're experiencing space-time. And while people have had spontaneous awakenings and upliftings with all sorts of settings, for most of us, we have to go through stuff incrementally. And the difference of how long that incremental growth takes is the quality of the teaching our own conditioning, our abilities, when we start, um, you know, our intelligence, and many other factors.
0: Wow, Mr. David Solomon, I want to thank you for being with us today. I have to say, this is a uh, marquee landmark. Well, I'd say this is a type of interview that we love to have on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth because you went far, you went deep, and there was so much information that you offered and provided. So I want to thank you so much for that great insight. Again. David is an author of a book called Magic is Real he's an entrepreneur he's a mystic, he's a master and he is a fan of tie-dye which again I I can't tell you how passionate I am by tie-dye but you can learn more about David by going to MagicalGoldenAge.com and uh, you know sign up, he's got a lot of uh, interesting events, blog regularly updated David, great honor to have you with us today sir
1: and right, thank you so much for your time. It's an honor to be here. If you ever want me or anybody in your audience wants me to come back, I'd be happy to. All right, everyone, that concludes
0: today's edition of the Outer of Limits of Inner Truth. Special thanks to David Solomon for teaching us magic, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Lisa Kaza, and Miss Constance Dallas. To learn more about the Outer of Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care, and thank you so much for listening.